You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open the scriptures together this afternoon. Our Old Testament reading is taken from Psalm 51. Our New Testament reading from the first four verses of Romans chapter 8. We begin then with reading Psalm 51. Let us listen to the word of God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. As far as the Old Testament reading, for our New Testament reading, we turn to Romans 8, 1 to 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so... He condemns sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. We've come this afternoon to the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, and therefore we turn to the Lord's Day 51 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is the fifth petition 
And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, that is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us wretched sinners any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us, as we also find this evidence of thy grace in us, that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, if bread is first, what is second? If according to the Lord Jesus in his special prayer, bread represents the greatest need that we have, what is our second greatest need? And if bread deals with what we need physically and bodily, what do we need when it comes to the spiritual or soul side of our life? What do you think? Any suggestions, recommendations, any answers? I suspect that some of you might be inclined to say that happiness is really our greatest spiritual need. To be happy, to be content, at ease, satisfied, positive about life and what life has to offer, that's it. In a world wherein there is so much unhappiness caused by a host of negative things, be it poverty, sickness, strife, failure, loneliness, and so much more, happiness beckons as the answer. At the same time, there may be some of you who would suggest that peace might be our greatest spiritual need. For every day almost we are reminded that ours is a world of conflict and violence. You only have to think of what happened near Chicago this past week or what seems to happen on a weekly basis on the streets of Vancouver where one or other drug dealer or pusher gets shot to death. Or what about violence or angry voices and raised fists? What we need, beloved, and what the world needs is the rise of a new spirit, a spirit of love, harmony, and reconciliation. And now, beloved, this may all be true, and no doubt many more suggestions and recommendations can be added to the list. But what does the Lord Jesus say? After bread, what is our greatest need? Well, in the fifth petition, he gives us an answer. And the answer is not happiness, not even peace, but the answer is forgiveness. What man needs after bread is forgiveness. What bread is to the body, forgiveness is to the soul. Now, why is that? What leads him to make this number two when it comes to the R petitions of the Lord's Prayer? Could it be that here we have the most basic, the most fundamental spiritual need of all? Can happiness exist in a world devoid of forgiveness? Can peace reign when forgiveness is absent? Can there be Contentment, wholeness, harmony, love, or joy 
if there is no forgiveness? Does the health of our souls and the vitality of our spirits depend on forgiveness? I think in a manner of speaking, beloved, the Lord Jesus in this petition is saying yes to all of this. There is a sense in which we need forgiveness. There is a sense in which it's the key to unlocking so many of God's spiritual treasures. And it is with that in mind that we turn this afternoon to the fifth petition. I preach to you on the following theme, the fifth petition, Father, forgive us and make us forgiving. And this petition often raises three questions. First of all, do we still need to be forgiven? How does forgiveness happen? And what are we to do with forgiveness? Well, beloved, before we take a closer look at the actual matter of forgiveness, there is another matter that needs our attention. And it has to do with the whole matter of forgiveness and whether or not it is not actually out of date, passé, or obsolete. And what do I mean? Well, I am thinking of those believers who today insist that because they are in Christ, they are a new creation, and that as new creatures... Their sins have been forgiven, wiped away, finished, and are over. According to them, forgiveness is a past need. Because Christians have put on the new nature, they no longer need to be concerned about the new, the old nature. Because Christians have repented and believed in Christ, all of their sins have been washed away. There is no need to ask for forgiveness any longer. And indeed, beloved, some would even say that every time you ask for forgiveness, you are doubting Christ. Did his blood not cleanse you? Did his cross not heal you? Did his spirit not restore you? So how can you still speak about your sins and about the need to be forgiven? It's all taken place. And you should not doubt it, nor keep on bringing it up again. So what are we to think of this approach? Is it true? Is it biblical? Well, let me be clear about this and say no. Such an approach to the Christian life is not biblical. It is one-sided. It is distorted. It contradicts Christ himself. And now why do I say that? Well, in the first place, beloved, such an approach conflicts with any number of Scripture passages. To cite only a few, take, for example, 1 John chapter 1, the verses 8 and 9. There John writes, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Notice, claiming to be without sin is a deception and a sign that the truth is far from us. 
Also claiming to be without sin means no forgiveness for us. And look as well, beloved, at 1 John chapter 2 verse 1. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Notice we have a defender. But why do we need a defender if our sins are all forgiven and done away with anyway? But then, beloved, if the view that forgiveness is past conflicts with these and other parts of Scripture, it also confuses what may be called the already and the not yet. And what this means is that when it comes to salvation, the scriptures often speak in two ways. They speak of a salvation as if it were an accomplished fact that is finished. And they speak of salvation as an ongoing process that needs to be completed. For example, if you look at Colossians chapter 1, Verse 13, there it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son, the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, beloved, if you look at Colossians 1.13, you will notice that it is the past tense that stands out. Paul writes there, he has rescued us, he has brought us, we have redemption. It looks then as if we already have all that we need. The same approach is evident in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6. There it says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Notice there you have the same use of the past tense. By the way in which Paul writes makes it seem as if we already have been raised from the dead and as if we are already sitting where Christ is above. That's the picture that you get from some of these passages. But yet we know that's not the complete picture. For Paul may speak in this way, however, the fact remains that the reality is different. You and I are still living on earth. You and I are still sitting here below. So what is this? Well, you may say this is the tension in the Christian life. In Christ we are saved, redeemed, forgiven, raised, elevated, glorified already. That's our new position. That's our new state. That's our new life. But nevertheless, there is also the not yet. Look, for example, at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 2, where the Apostle Paul writes, We groan longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling." And in light of what we read in Ephesians 2, verse 6, we could say, how can Paul say this? Is the apostle not contradicting himself? 
I thought that we were raised already. So why is he groaning? And why? Is he longing? Or what about Philippians 3, the verses 12 to 14? In Philippians 3, the verses 12 to 14, the Apostle Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have I, or have I already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, when you read those words, you might also ask yourself, if Paul is already raised, and if he's already elevated with Christ, why in the world is he still pressing on? And why is he straining toward it? The point is, beloved, that he has it in name and in promise. But he does not yet have it in reality or fullness. You see, in the Christian life, there is this tension between the already and the not yet or the not quite. And the awareness of this tension will help you to read and interpret the New Testament in the proper way. But then, beloved, if some say that about having already arrived conflicts with Scripture and fails to understand how Scripture speaks, it also fails in another area. And that's in the area of prayer. For ask yourself, why would the Lord Jesus bother to give us this fifth petition if it no longer applied to Christians. Remember that he was being asked by one of his disciples to teach them how to pray. This was the request of a disciple, a learner, a follower. It was not the request of an unbeliever, an agnostic, or an unregenerate. So in this prayer, Christ is teaching Christians. He's teaching us. He's teaching his church. And then in the process, he gives this fifth petition. And notice, too, the tense. He doesn't say, Father, you have forgiven us our sins, past tense. No, he says, Father, forgive us our sins or forgive us our debts. Present imperative tense. In other words, this is how we are to pray. Every day. Until the great day of days. Daily we are to ask God. For forgiveness. 
And this means, beloved, that those who insist that we no longer need to ask God for forgiveness are going down a most dangerous road. They're ignoring what Christ teaches. They're twisting or denying his words. And their problem is not with the preachers of the gospel, but it is with the word of the gospel. Christ is teaching us that even today, we still need to pray for forgiveness. But forgiveness for what? You'll notice the Lord Jesus uses the word debts. Forgive us our debts. And what's meant by debts? Actually, it's kind of a wide, a comprehensive term. It, it describes something that is owed, something that should and ought to be given or ought to be rendered. In terms of its origin, this word comes from the world of finance and commerce. It has to do with canceling monetary debts, wiping the ledger clean, getting rid of what's owed. And so what is the Lord Jesus getting at in this petition? Well, you can say he's getting at the debts that we owe to God and the debts as well that we owe to our fellow man. And what are they? What do we owe to God? Think about that. What do we owe to God every day of our life? I think we could soon make a long list, right? A list that begins, for example, with love, submission, honor, respect, obedience, and so forth. And the same goes with our fellow human beings. According to the scripture, we owe one another what? We owe one another love, peace, gentleness, patience, understanding, compassion, goodness, mercy. And that list also goes on and on. And indeed, beloved, when you think of all that we owe and then examine closely what it is that we render in actual fact to God and to our fellow man, how can any believer say that that, that he or she doesn't need forgiveness for the debts that they owe? Is there anywhere a Christian walking on the face of the earth who can say, I have rendered it all, and I've rendered it perfectly, and I have no debts, no outstanding obligations that need to be forgiven? Even John Wesley, who was sometimes accused of coming up with this idea, and I have to say I think he's falsely accused, didn't dare say that. We all need forgiveness. We all need to pray this petition. It isn't 
obsolete. But then, beloved, we may also remark, well, it's one thing to pray this petition. It's another thing to be convinced that it's been heard and answered. But simply, how do we know that forgiveness really and truly happens? But, beloved, there the catechism shows itself to be helpful. It says that we can ask God not to impute to us any of our transgressions, nor the evil which always clings to us. And notice, too, that it uses the expression, wretched sinners. Now, I have to say to you, in all fairness, that is an exaggerated translation And that actually, and I've checked this, the original translation says, poor sinners. What does that mean? Does that mean poor sinners in the sense of pathetic sinners? No. It means sinners who cannot pay. It's saying that as sinners, you and I do not have the funds, we do not have the means at our disposal to pay what we owe God and our neighbor. And so who has to pay? There's only one who can pay, and that is Christ. The catechism refers to Christ as the payee, and it refers as well to the means of payment when it mentions his blood. For the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us. That's what it says. Yes, and one of the places where the catechism gets this from is from Romans 8, verse 1, where Paul writes, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, there is no way that God, or the law of God, declares us to be guilty or condemned. If we are in Christ by faith, We are not guilty. We are free. Free to live. And free to serve. And how come? It's all thanks to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 5 verse 9 states that we have now been justified by his blood, meaning the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ that's atoned for our sins. It's the blood of Christ that has paid our debts. It's the blood of Christ that has ransomed us. And elsewhere the apostle says, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And so it is, beloved, that the Christ who teaches us to pray this petition is also the Christ who enables us to become a forgiven people. Thanks to him and to him alone there is forgiveness for all our debts. He makes forgiveness happen. 
Hallelujah. One might say he makes it happen. What we could never do, never pay, he has done and he has paid for. What we could never have achieved or accomplished, he has achieved completely and utterly and he has accomplished fully. The sacrifice of Christ and the blood of Christ represent gifts beyond all compare and comprehension. And they remind us every day again just how deep is the love of Jesus Christ for us. Christ alone makes forgiveness happen. And indeed, he makes it happen for us. And in a sense, he makes it happen for others. For notice, there is something added to this fifth petition. There is, as it were, a rider attached to it. And the rider is in those words, as we also have forgiven our debtors. You might say that little word as makes a lot of difference here. For what does it do? Well, you can say it reminds us this petition has very direct consequences. It has consequences for us and it has consequences for those we owe. For those who owe us. You know, that is rather obvious. We look at one of the foundational passages here. Consider, for example, Matthew chapter 18. There you may remember Peter asks the question about just how often do we need to forgive our brother who sins against us? And being in a rather generous mood, Peter suggests seven times. And you can be sure that he hopes the Lord Jesus Christ will compliment him for being such a generous fellow and tell him, no, Peter, three times is more than enough. But surprise, surprise. Christ tells him nothing like that at all. Christ says 77 times. And that means forgiveness is unending. Forgiveness is infinite. Forgiveness is continuous and never out of date. We're never maximized. Oh, and just in case Peter and the rest do not get the drift... You'll notice the Lord Jesus illustrates forgiveness, this boundless forgiveness with a parable, the parable of the unforgiving debtor. And what's the main thrust of the parable? Because your master has forgiven you such a huge and humongous debt, you need to forgive your brother, the measly little debt that he owes you. 
And if you do not, your forgiveness with the Master gets canceled out. What does that mean? It means, beloved, forgiveness is not unconditional. We hear a lot these days about unconditional love and about unconditional forgiveness. And in the area of forgiveness, believers are being told that no matter what has been done to you, no matter whether he or she who has offended you asks for forgiveness or not, you have to forgive. You must forgive. I would say to you, such a demand is going far too far. If someone does something terrible to you, and never comes to you and expresses regret and asks you for your forgiveness, you are under no obligation to forgive. No one can demand this of you. But having said that, realize something else as well. And it's this, you may be under no obligation to forgive, but yet it may be to your benefit to forgive voluntarily, freely, and even unasked. What do I mean? Well, it happens in this life, unfortunately, that sometimes one person does something terrible or awful to someone else. And the victim keeps on dwelling on the offense. And he or she dwells on it so much and so long that it begins to adversely affect their daily life, their happiness, their peace, contentment. And often it ruins their life. And then we need to ask ourselves, who is the real casualty here? Who is the real prisoner? You know, at times the victim is a greater prisoner and casualty and the offender. And you know, when that happens, we need to learn. We need to learn from the Lord's mercy and wisdom in this particular petition. We need to see the boundless nature of God's forgiveness. We need to see all the benefits that come to us through the cross. And we need to see all of our offenses that have been canceled out. Yes, and once we have seen how good God has been to us and how much mercy he has lavished upon us, then we in turn would do well to take the high road 
and lavish mercy on those who have offended us. Forgive them. Even if they have never asked for your forgiveness, forgive them. And ask God to help you to forgive them. And close the door as far as you can. And leave the rest to the judgment of Almighty God. For He's a righteous judge. And He will right every wrong. And we can safely leave judgment in His hands. But that's his business. And as for our business, it is the business of forgiveness. If we see clearly how the grace of God has changed our lives, then we should be ready and willing to extend a little of that grace to others. And can you see that, beloved? Are you prepared to practice that? Do you come to God only pleading forgiveness for the debts that you owe? Or do you come to God? And after coming to Him and coming away from Him, you turn to your neighbor who has hurt you and offended you and caused you so much pain And forgive him or her? Truly, beloved, when we know ourselves to be forgiven, and when we actively extend forgiveness to others, then we begin to realize just how it is that forgiveness really is the greatest need of the soul. For through it, our relationship to God is restored. Through it, our relationship to our neighbor is renewed. Through it, we find rest for our souls and peace for our troubled hearts. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we come to thank you that you are a forgiving God. That through the great work of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the shedding of his blood, you cover and pay for all our sins. And Father, we thank you not only that you have paid for all our sins, But we also teach or pray that you would teach us to do something that sometimes is so very difficult for us. And that is to forgive those who have offended us. Father, we have all offended you. And we expect you to forgive us. How many people do not offend us? 
And sometimes we refuse to forgive them. And so, Father, we pray. We pray for the help of your word and of your spirit. That we may rejoice every day in the forgiveness of our sins. And that every day we may come to you anew to ask and to claim that forgiveness. But help us also to spread it around to those who offend us. Lord, be with us. May it be that a forgiving God looks down and sees that we are a forgiving people in Christ. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.